Alright guys, so welcome back to another episode of What Does It Take? Today we've got a very, very special guest once again. Uh, this is someone who I really look up to and he honestly is a very busy guy, but uh, coming from a president, this is pretty much the paragon of presidents. <laughs> you cannot find a better guy this year, I'm pretty sure. So uh, please introduce yourself, special guest. Hello, um, my name is Ben. Uh, firstly, thank you for having me, Alano. Not sure exactly how you look up to me, considering how short I am. But, um, yeah, I am a second-year finance biz law student. Um, I am in a couple different things outside of just uni. So I am an OCM for the Ethnoculture Department here at UWA. I am a consultant in the walk. Like, it's like consulting mm-hmm. society thing. Um, and I'm also the president of Chinese society. Okay, so good intro. Um, we're just going to talk a bit about Chinese society a lot, actually, today. Yeah. Uh, especially because KCC and uh, Chinese society have had their connections quite... Uh, they've had quite close connections throughout the past couple of years. So firstly, we'll just talk about the connection between our clubs. So what do KCC and CS have in common? I think... Like, first and foremost, it's it's that we, like, all four, when you talk about, like, the, the big four Asian clubs, um, it's, like, Asia, MSU, us, KCC, and CS. I think for us, there's, a, like, a clear similarity in that we're not just for, like, the whole Asian community. There's, like, this focus particularly on you guys for Koreans and us for Chinese. Um, I can talk about it a bit more later, but there's, like, a whole debate kind of in the committee as to what we do about that at the moment. But I think that's a key similarity is that, in that sense, we're a bit more focused and a bit smaller. Than the other clubs potentially. Um, I also think there's similarity in terms of I know you mentioned with um, comparing JSS to KCC. There's like a focus more on like social side of things rather than them having the academic side of things. Um, and I think we're very much the same. Is that we're all about the the social side and getting people together to like build friendships and connections um, and leaving all the other sides, other bits like academics and whatnot. Um, not necessarily to other clubs, but it's not really our focus, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, coming from a presidential opinion, that's quite a deep look at it. Like, we get to see what we think of the club from the top uh, the top perspective. Yeah. But I do believe that there are quite general opinions about our clubs yeah. that are thrown out there. And I just kind of want to know, uh, firstly, do you guys have any opinions about uh, both our clubs that you've heard from outsiders? I mean, like... In terms of opinions, the obvious ones are like, oh, CS is full of LGs and LBs. <laughs> um, and then like KCC is full of Korea boos and yep. whatnot. Like, I think like in terms of those opinions, it's it's a bit both ways. Like looking at it from the outside and you can definitely see those kind of things. I don't think it's like wrong to make those kind of assumptions. But then once you're inside, you get like a deeper understanding of like where these kind of values sit and where they come from and how it kind of like connects people within the community. So I think it's interesting. For sure. And I think the my personal opinion about that sort of thing, like with regards to KCC specifically, I think being a career boot isn't typically a bad thing within our yeah. community. Like people who are so passionate about the like Korean culture to be uh, like even underneath that label, it doesn't mean that they're like any less of a person in our opinion. And we sort of like... We don't want to say Korea Boo as much as we like to say like a stan or yeah. like people who yeah. like are really like 
are super fans of the Korean culture. And although people do see us as like a bunch of Korean boos, I think we like it's a good sort of base way to look at it because that's where you find people who are like interested in what you're interested in. Yeah. That's how like I originally saw the club myself, like outside of KCC. Being a first year, I didn't join KCC in my first year of uni. I joined in my second year. So I did see it as like a university student who wasn't a part of it. And I did think, oh, they probably have like a lot of career booths. A lot of people who knew the Korean language, but probably aren't Korean, aren't even studying Korean. And those aren't like necessarily bad things, even though it's kind of considered a bit of a stigma. And I think that... All four of the clubs do have a bit of their own stigmas yeah, and their sure. own like uh, stereotypes about them. So, what about you guys? Like, how do you uh, sort of deal with the people that talk about, oh, like CS is full of like LGs, LVs? Like, mm-hmm. is there any uh, any way that you guys sort of like try to combat that, or do you just let it sink in, or do you like use it? Like, what do you guys do about it? I think. There's like a multitude of levels in my eyes. It's like, firstly, to put a label on someone is is like in itself such an interesting concept because like when we throw around like um, buzzwords like career boot particularly, you think of a particular stereotype, right? Yeah. But I would say that looking particularly at a club like KCC, like arguably 80, 90% of you are career boots because you are involved and enjoy the Korean culture, but you don't fit the stereotype. Yeah. So I think it's interesting in that sense that like you – like, people shouldn't be ashamed of having these titles, they sh- but, like, others should be more aware of how, like, diverse they could be. Yeah. So I think you can boil that down to CS as well. It's, like, realistically, people putting these titles on us that people, some people may look down upon because of the stereotype around it. It's not necessarily about that. Like, we have people who are definitely fit that, like, LG, LB, um, like, stereotype, for sure. Yeah. Um, but we have others who fit the same thing in terms of, like, they're, like, hard style, they wear a lot of black. Those are all criterias, but aren't like, outside looking in that stereotypical way. And we also have, like, career boos as well, people who just love yeah. Korean culture within our own community. So I think, like, in terms of the whole labelling thing, it's it's very difficult, like, outside looking in. And I think that's such a hard, hard thing to overcome because there is that, like, level, there's that layer of, like, well, you can't really be from the inside looking out unless you're actually on the inside. Yeah, for sure. So it's, like, this whole, like, complicated, complex thing. But I think for us it's just about, you know, owning it, being yourself and just, like, making sure that you don't succumb to, like, what people say just because they say it. Yeah, for sure. Like, I actually had this conversation with my committee once. Like, it was quite in the early stages of my time in office. And uh, I was in, like, the, I think, the guild club room or something like that. And we just had everyone around the huge, like, round table. And one of our committee members sort of brought up the idea of trying to change our image because... They thought that too many people were looking at us and thinking that we are career boos would be like detrimental to our yeah. like growth. And another person like raised their own opinion and they had a bit of like like they weren't even playing devil's advocate. They just had two different opinions of it. And they were saying that we should play to that like being career boos. Cause we do have our like uh what I like to say, like closet uh, closeted careers, <laughs> like people who yeah. might are really, really into the culture, yeah. but it doesn't show. But like, we also do have our archetypal careers yes, as well, yeah, like yeah. just people who like show it, who live it out, and they're just like, they're people who just are who they are and they don't tr- pretend to be someone else. Yeah. And they're saying, like, yeah, we should 
play to that and we by doing that we're staying true to our core values yeah, yeah. which is also like even though it's two different like sides which are not wrong because on one hand on the first person's hand they're saying we want to grow the club as much as we can yeah and in order to do that we need to appeal to a wider audience yeah, yeah. and in order to do that we need to have a not so um potentially dangerous image of people who enjoy career culture and then on the other hand you've got like the niche the supporters of the career booze who say like oh yeah our club does have a lot of career booze we should play to that and let our club grow because if we play to that we're going to attract people that are actually interested yeah rather than people who are interested in something that korean culture isn't or like k-pop isn't so it gets a bit like blurred um in terms of like how we want to grow our club personally but obviously like you said from an outsider perspective it's hard to see like the intricacies of like our clubs and like how we want to like be different or like how we want to present ourselves but my next question is just about how uh our how your club personally sees our club so i'm talking about like like your committee seeing our committee because your committee has been quite close to our committee yeah. as of recent especially and i think that even though they aren't in our club they have a different perspective of our club compared to outsiders who haven't been in it so i'll just kick it off talking about your club first yeah sure so this year we with our fresher intake we had a lot of people like who had very good connections with, two, yeah. yeah with with chinese societies as freshers and it was it proved to be a really um really helpful thing in terms of inter-club bonding and like i'm going to talk about inter-club bonding again yeah, and again yeah, yeah. throughout this episode but um basically like there are there were a few already pre-formed friendship groups and they were kind of split apart a little bit between kcc and cs and um that didn't like break apart their bonds but actually became bridges for other people to become friends with each other between our clubs and i honestly think that's like so awesome because like inter-club bonding is something that i've always wanted to see um be strengthened throughout my time in office and to see it being achieved without even my help yeah like it's awesome yeah exactly right so from our club's perspective we don't really see like uh well to put it quite frankly we don't look at lgs and lbs exactly like <laughs> lgs and lbs yeah. like it kind of like when you get into the clubbing scene or when you get into like the asian club scene yeah. especially we know like the people who are lgs and lbs and like are actually like that and people who just sort of play in that direction because it works for them or mm. because it's like a like a statement or like things like that and we know people who are, are like that that just have genuinely good personalities and it's just like the way they they act or the things that yeah, they do that they do particularly. yeah that like sort of um either portray like an lg lb-esque uh behavior for a certain time yeah and then on the other hand they will like be like straight a student or like do things that an lg lb wouldn't do so we sort of within the, our clubs uh we kind of see it more as a like when in rome like situation oh, okay so like when you guys are going to clubbing events then 
starts the drinking, then starts the, you know, the LGLB like esque activities. Yeah. And like, same with us, like for our like Korean clubbing events, uh, we may not do this like out in public, but like I see a lot of people who like dance to twice who I've never imagined like dancing to twice yeah. and like doing things like that are actually different to what they show themselves to be like out in public. So basically like coming back to our opinions again, we see Chinese societies as members as like a, um, like don't take their, don't take the surface for granted. Don't like judge a book by its cover sort of situation. And if you don't do that, if you get past that, then you can find a lot of people who are like very genuine. So what about you guys? I think for us, like, firstly, I think there's like somewhat of a distinction because I understand that like when we talk about um, the two clubs, it's like, oh, one has Caribous, one has like LGs and LBs, right? I think the first thing you kind of need to like notice that like for a Korean club, you expect Korea boots, right? Yeah. For a Chinese club, you don't expect a bunch of brave, brave babies. Yeah. <laughs> so I think like for us, um, like saying in your perspective, like looking below the surface layer is really important. I think that is quite important, particularly for us, because like there's a lot of like negative connotations around that whole like rave baby kind of image. Yeah. I think looking towards your club, there is that kind of surface level thing. It's like you need to go past the career. It's like it's not mm. all that. They don't just like, you know, they're not just sitting around watching K dramas all day and just listening to K pop and whatnot. <laughs> yeah. um, I'm, well, I'm sure more, I'm sure a lot of you are doing that like, like as a normalized way, but it's not like obsession, like yeah, exactly. put out yeah. to, for careers to be. Um, but I also think that like looking at your committee, it's just, it's a lot more inviting. I think like mm. generally speaking, um, Korean people just seem like really inviting, which is why I think so many people are taking up that culture now. Oh, yeah. So I think yeah. looking towards your committee, like it, it's kind of a surprise because in my fresh year, I didn't know anyone from KCC. Like mm. I knew people from MSU, I knew people from Asia even from other clubs, but I knew no one from KCC. You were actually the first person I met oh, wow. from KCC. And that was only because we met at the MSU AGM. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think this year, like particularly with your freshers, they just seem a lot, like they seem so friendly and so inviting. And also um, it's really good how for your events and anytime we have like inter-club bonding things, it seems like everyone's there. Like right. everyone's really committed, um, which is one thing that I think kind of distinguishes KCC and CS right now is that CS there's a lot of opt-out mentality, I think, within the oh, club, which okay. is an interesting point. Yeah. Um, whereas KCC, it's very, very, and whether it be like structurally opt-in or like mentally opt-in, whether I, I, I like whether you're forcing it or whether people are doing it like on their own accord. Um, I think when we look at you guys, we see a lot of um, commitment in mm. a sense, as opposed to us, where it's like, oh. Um, Unfortunately, it seems that sometimes people just do the bare minimum, which right. is interesting from a cultural perspective. Is like CS has come from like a very it's it's a, it's an interesting timeline for CS. It, it was like particularly a, a big club, I think, a few years ago, but then had this whole drama. Where in around 2015, 16, it basically like bottomed out because of like a whole bunch of like poor choices by previous executives, and then since then it's kind of been like this very slow rebuild process of like well, where do we take the club? What direction do we take it? And how do we um, go from that, from that like bottom point to like moving up on it. Yeah. Okay. So talking about, you know, that rebuild process, things like that, you obviously as the president, you have a lot of control over your club and what the, what the club does. And 
more, more importantly, like the direction that the club goes. Is there anything like in particular that you're trying to achieve or any goals that you have that you're aspiring your club to reach? Yeah. It's funny you say that. Um, like, I'll take it, I'll like talk about it in kind of two points. The first is like what I envisioned, which yeah. was like, this was like my key message. Um, I'm not sure what other clubs do, but for like our, I think you guys do similar, is like you have an IGM, internal general meeting, and then an AGM. Mm. So internal general meeting, people will talk about why they want to be exec, everyone votes, and then you have AGM like announcing exec. Is that? Uh, that's what the other two clubs do, I believe. But oh, okay. our club, no. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, our club, we just actually, we run it on the AGM. Oh, um, right. That's what we've done for the past yeah. couple of years. But yeah. No, on. okay, yeah, no, that's cool. Um, but yeah, for us, it's like, yeah, IGM, wait a little bit, AGM, separate. Okay. Um, at our IGM, when I put my pitch in for president, um, my big thing was that, like, particularly at UWA, it come to a point where no one was aware of CS like at all because oh, okay. I was the there was one or two freshers at UWA who were from CS, the rest were from Curtin. Oh. And so like a whole big thing for me was like people would always ask me, "Oh, are you part of MSU?" Because MSU is <laughs> like the big one at UWA. It's like, yeah. "Oh, um, are you an MSU?" When I say I'm an Asian Culture Club. And I'd have to be like, no, CS. And I'd do like this whole spiel about what CS is and like how it's not Akia. And then it literally got to the point where at one stage I just said, yeah, I'm in MSU. Oh, wow. Like it literally got to that point. And I realized like on reflection that I definitely did not want to be doing that. Mm. So that was like my whole point. But if I was to become president, like I don't want to have to say that I'm in MSU. Like I want to be different. I want us to be like our own thing. I want us to be separate and I want us to be known. In saying that, though, I think my visions were way too lofty. Way, <laughs> way too lofty. And it's, and it's not like to say that we can't get to that point, but to do it in a year is near, near impossible. And I think it's that whole, again, coming back to the rebuilding process. Yeah. Like, oh man, I can't even remember what your question was. But like in that whole rebuild process, it, I quickly understood that like trying to fix everything in one year is like damn near impossible. Mm. And so for me, the focus became a lot more around what are the small things that we can do to help build on this so that next year's it'll be even better. And then year after that, they can build on it more and build right. on it more and build on it more. So I think for me, like things like this year, like we put more money towards making like deco at events. Oh, okay. Um, yeah. We put more money towards like put more time and effort towards um, like hoodies. We just got our new hoodies in. Oh, cool. Um, instead, of, instead of doing just like the standard like logo on the side, we like try to put a design on the back and things. Yes. And just like small changes like that was kind of like, where I went in that kind of direction. Yeah, 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 for sure. Like, I think, yeah, like you said, one year is such a short span of time and we're already in, like, what, two-thirds, maybe past two-thirds of our term and trying to instill such a big change, like, as, like, bringing what is a club that isn't as popular as another club, like, to that same level is, like, definitely quite hard, (laughs) in my opinion as well. But I also just want to ask, like, do you think that uh, there's a specific method to that? Because I'm sure that there are a lot of, like, like budding clubs out there, like new clubs out there who yes, want to, like, yes. go through this process. Although you guys have been established for a long time, um, this seems to be a bit of a turning point. So do you have any advice for those who are, like, you know, trying to grow their clubs, even, like, maybe not even considering the stigma they came yeah. before? I think... Um, first thing is like recruit your committee well. Oh, okay. And I think so. It's funny because last year, um, last year's exec, I don't think we appreciated what they did 
enough, mm. but we looked at them and I think you mentioned it in your first episode with um, Claudia about how like you didn't realize like the decisions that they would make and sometimes yeah. you'd be questioning and be like, oh, look, that with CS, there's a lot of times where we would question the exec and be like, is this really the right decision? We're not very sure about this. Like what direction are you trying to take the club, et cetera, et cetera. Right. Sitting in that position now, I realized that A, it's very difficult to make calls that take you in the right direction because sure. it's it, particularly in a rebuilding phase, it's like you have to understand like where you're going and it's hard to like picture that, I guess. The second thing is like what we didn't realize is that we as a fresher group were actually quite good and so we were like, oh, well, we, why don't we see this in the elders? Mm. And I think the reason in that is because the elders above us, like they're, they're exactly realized that that was the issue. So they recruited their freshers quite well. So oh, I would say okay. that our group was quite close and quite committed compared to a lot of other groups previous. Yeah. And so I realized that for this year, we wanted to keep our fresher group as like elders quite, like continue to be committed. And then we wanted to recruit well again. Mm. And because again, in this whole rebuilding process, if you start at one year, Yep. And you say we're going to recruit one good fresh group. It doesn't actually like come to fruition until three is down the track when there's three fresher groups that have all been committed. Right. So I think for like clubs that are trying to build, getting good committee members, whether it be like through our process of like electing, sorry, no, picking like 10 to 20 freshers, or whether it be even be just choosing your OCM and choosing your exec, picking people who are going to be committed and who are going to put their all into the club will benefit you like so much more because they'll be the ones who are willing to come to the small events that you organize to help run things. They'll be the ones who um, scream out from the top of their lungs when you're having an event. They'll yeah. be the people who will help promote you and push your push your image a lot more than, say, someone who's just doing it for like resume building. Right, yeah, absolutely. Like I think, uh, particularly from my perspective, I think we had a similar sort of fresher cohort, but we're not seeing it as much this year. And... I just think that I don't mean that in like a like a degrading way yeah. for our like freshers, but I think the way that people were trying or within the past and like still a little bit in the present is that within KCC we try to recruit people who are kind of they have to fit certain criteria. Yeah. And like I don't know exactly what the criteria is and I believe there there may be like some prejudices and things like that, but like Typically, I mean, like, we're trying to, um, like, have people join who are really invested in Korean culture. For example, that might be just one of the criteria. Yeah. And it's sometimes hard to find that, like, middle of the Venn diagram of someone who's really interested in Korean yeah. culture and someone who's also interested in bettering a club yeah. and being there, like, for the most, for the core parts of it. Yeah. And... Finding people like that isn't just, like, we can't really just pick them out. Yeah. Like, sometimes they are, like, sometimes we just have a year where it's very hard to find these people. And I do believe that sometimes it's just going to be impossible to find, like, a great pool of, like, you know, freshers. Yeah. So it just, it's a bit tough. But I do think that a lot of people have potential that's still, like, untapped. Yes. So yeah. people within my community, for example, like, I've talked about this in the past, in the in the last podcast as well, there are probably people within our community who can do a good job, but they haven't been tested yet yeah. or they haven't been in a situation where they've had to change and grow. And that's a lot of... It's a bit lofty as well, like you, like you said, to 
think that to sort of bank on people changing when the time comes because people you can sort of sniff out leaders like you can sniff them out <coughs> before they even get into the leadership position and you can sort of tell this person might be good for this this person might be fit for this but i feel like there are a lot of dark horses out there yeah. who might potentially be good but don't want to step up to the plate or haven't showcased it enough and it's i guess up to us to sort of suss out who those people are and potentially be the ones to plant that seed yeah and i think especially you and i as presidents of our clubs we have a lot of say in that regard because we've been we may not have been the best president like of all time of our clubs but we do have a lot of say with regards to leadership within our committees because of how much we've been through so far. Yeah. So for this next point, I just want to talk about presidency itself. Yeah. So I'll just talk about quite general terms. What do you, what does your president do in Chinese society? Does is it has it always been the same template every year? <laughs> he's he's shaking his head at me. He's um has. Chinese society's president always been a certain type of person either. Okay. <laughs> you... No. Um. Okay. Oh, like, like start by saying that I have only ever seen two presidents. Yep. One of which was me. So <laughs> it's really a pool of just me and one other guy. I met the other presidents, um, but haven't really seen them like lead, I guess. But from my perspective, the last president, and this is not to say that necessarily like one style is better than the other, but he was more controlling. Like oh, he okay. wanted to do everything himself, and he wanted to do it to a high level. Mm. Um, so he took on a lot of the bulk of the work himself, and more just like I, I wasn't in that exact to say exactly what was going on, but it seemed like he would take it on a lot more himself, and like expect little bits from like the other exec, but also expect their own initiative. And like as I was saying, it was a whole from outside looking in, it was a bit of a mess. Whether or not from the inside it was more coherent, whatever, but from our perspective, especially looking in, it was like, oh, we're not exactly sure what's going on. It's a bit of a bit of a jumble, whatnot. Um, from my perspective, how I see our current executive to being different from them and how I as president is different is that in the same way that him and I had no real defined role, I think that's an important point with presidency is that it's very hard to know what to do because there's less definition in your role. Like yep. if you're secretary, you're writing minutes and like sending out doing EMPs, whatnot. Yep. If you're treasurer, you're like doing the um, financials, you're budgeting, whatnot. It's like, that's your job. Like, you know your role. But as president, it's a lot of what you make of it. Yeah. So I think there's that first thing. And for me, where he took a very controlling role in terms of like doing those little things, which he may or may not be part of his role, I took a more of a step back, I'd say. Yeah. And so... For our exec, we're a lot more coherent in the sense that I don't think that necessarily we have titles and we do jobs in those titles, but they don't like define us as individuals. Right. So like, for example, one thing that really interested me is that when you mentioned that you don't do EMPs at yep. all. I so I do all the EMPs for you don't Oh, wow. Because um, our secretary is from Curtin. Oh, That's yeah. one of the key things, but also because like we will just do things that's typically done in each other's roles where it suits the team. Right. So a lot of the times it's not like, oh, um, here's a random task. It generally fits within the secretary role because it's to do with like typing stuff up. You do it the secretary. It's more like, 
oh, here's a random task, who can do it at the available time, who's got the better schedule, who maybe has the skills in that area. It's like one example I can think of is that for all our um, graphics, yeah. unfortunately we don't have anyone who does graphics in-house. Oh, so okay. our secretary has literally been learning um, to do it herself. Wow. Which is why I would say that like in terms of like – how do I put this? That's not sounds as bad. It's it's quality is not as good in terms of like resolution. I think oh, okay. I don't know if you've noticed that, but ours are never <laughs> quite up there as the other ones, and that's initially because our secretary has no idea how to do that. Like, oh. but she at the same time, shout out to Carolyn by the way, you're awesome. She didn't know how to do any of this stuff, and she's literally been self-teaching herself throughout this in order to come to the point where we can put together like something that looks like yeah. pretty decent. Yeah. Um, and that's just like incredible to see as like a team because I think it takes us out of like the whole executive. Like yeah, idea yeah. and puts us more into a team idea where arguably there isn't like a president or a vice president or secretary treasurer it's like yes people particular people do particular roles and particular jobs but overall like decision making whatnot there's no like one person who just says like this is the way we're going to go this is what we're going to do and like there's no um like definition like if the treasurer can't do financials in one situation someone else might take it on right like, it's, it's a lot more fluid in that sense yeah, I think so too. Like there are so many things and so many opportunities for us to be outside of our roles. And that's a kind of crazy one though. Your secretary doing the graphics is something like I would think is unheard of. Like we've always had within KCC someone who's been able to do the graphics, whether or not it be a moving image or not. And even before my time at KCC, there was someone before the current one. And it's so kind of it's kind of crazy just to see people just like you said being more of a team versus like fulfilling your own roles as executives and i think it's important as well to understand that that's a quality of a good team is people that want to do things or are willing to go to the lengths of doing things that are outside of their supposed roles like the characteristics of what their roles should or shouldn't be and I just want to talk a little bit about how you said you kind of took a step back from how your past, your past president was a bit more controlling. I think within the context of KCC, and this may not be as evident to my committee, but I think I'm quite the same level of controlling as my past president was. And I don't mean that in the way that I'm making as many executive decisions on my own, but I feel like... I'm still quite strict and yeah. disciplining, except it's just that the way I go about things, the way I carry myself and my image throughout our club is not as intimidating. So I will still push for executive um, like punishments, like for lack of a better word, punishments yep. to be carried out. Yep. And I will still be like, okay, you might be a bit too lax on our committee members right now if there's another executive involved. But I think that's the same thing that my past president was doing, yeah. except just the way it was gone about is a bit more scary, a bit more intimidating. Mm. And I think that it's good within our club not to lose that uh, level of sort of controllingness, but to sort of, yeah, yeah, just instead kind of need to sugarcoat it more yes. or need to dress it up so it looks better, but still have it there. So in the, like a while ago, you were mentioning about how we seem to have a lot more commitment and whether or not that commitment 
towards the club's activities was intrinsic or extrinsic. Yeah. We don't really know, but it's. I think it's because we sort of try to instill a culture within our club of like, you do this, you will be looked up upon. Yeah. And people, yeah, will look up to you and you will actually be rewarded for what you do. And here's like something that I didn't think we were going to talk about, but you know about our subsidization? Yes, yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. So yes. I'll basically, for, for the listeners out there, uh, subsidization is... <coughs> It is a way of our club rewarding its members for their levels of commitment. And typically when we have an event or maybe an intra-club event for our committee members, if there's money involved, we might tear off our committee members from levels of highest commitment to lowest commitment. And objectifying that has always been really hard. But as of recent, with our treasurer, it's been a lot easier because he loves numbers. Yes, he, so, uh, apparently he's like a wicked spreadsheet with everyone on it. Yeah, yeah, he's got he's he's absolutely a genius, and he just a fun fact. He's also the ducks of his high school, so he's also <laughs> like been working with numbers for uh, okay, God knows nice. how long. No, but he's a, he's a beast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout out Albert. So yes. just saying, like that subsidization thing. Although it looks very extrinsic, and Albert and I have also discussed this like one-on-one, we've talked about how it's a bit almost inhumane to like want get people to commit to the club because of this monetary, um, what's the word like, like a bait, not yeah. not a bait, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. Um, yeah, because of that, people we think people may be more inclined to do work for the club because of that, you know. And we think that that is not necessarily... We conclude that that is not necessarily a bad thing because it starts with that something, like, extrinsic to work towards. But when you start thinking about it, it's not always in the back of everyone's minds. And when they start getting into, like, for example, dance or if they're, like committing to deco like sessions things like that (coughs) they're not necessarily getting into it at the first place due to the potential money prize at the end yeah they're getting into it probably because they have like we've seen this culture throughout the club of committing to things meeting up with your friends at these sessions and just having a good time doing these sorts of things so it's a bit tough at times to think about how to get your club to be more committed, especially with regards to how to get that to actually happen, because we think that this rewards process is going to get them to eventually intrinsically motivate themselves. But all in all, it's an extrinsic motivation in the first place to get them there, which is not the best way. Well, it's not the ideal way to go about things. We wish that we would have committee members who would just want to do things. See, I would I would actually sort of disagree with you on that point because I think yeah. particularly looking, I mean, this is, again, whole idea of outside looking in. I think for me looking at KCC, it's like it's a culture now. This mm-hmm. whole, the fact that you've been doing this for a while now, the whole extrinsic um, punishment, reward, subsidization. Yep. I don't know, you guys have a similar strike yep, system? Strike yep. system. Strike system for like the other side being punishment. But I think like what that does is it, it for you guys it's like weeded everyone out who necessarily wouldn't 
be good within that system and it's created like this culture where everyone is more intrinsically opting in and, right. like, and for me okay that's actually something that we have like looked at and we're like yes it's kind of like the model of what we want how do we go about doing that and that's actually something that we kind of struggled with this year is finding that balance that i think you guys have done quite well with um and again long-term perspective is something that we're focused on but we implemented a strike system similar to i think other clubs i think um, I know of like a couple that we like scoped out. Like, what do you guys do? What should we do about it? Um, but I think it's 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 really interesting about how we found that as soon as we introduced the strike system, a bunch of elders were like, "Why are you doing this? Like, oh, what, what is okay. this? Like, we don't like this." And to us, it was kind of like we had to step back and consider, well, what are we willing to lose in order to make this change? Right. And for us, it was like, okay, people might not look. People might not look. Excuse me. People might not like the system now. People might... We, and we had a whole lot of people leave as well oh. this year. And we think that, like, potentially that's a result of putting in, like, stricter regimens around punishment. Yeah. But we're hoping that what it will lead to is that in a few years down the line, if this thing is standardised and continued, people are aware of it. It will bring in people who are more intrinsically motivated and are less worried about the extrin- extrinsic, like, factors so that... In terms of culture, it's a lot better than it is now. Mm. If that makes sense, and that's why, like for us, like for me, you saying and kind of debating, well, what is this intrinsic? What is this intrinsic? Like, should we be more intrinsic? I think, yes, that's like the goal. That's what everyone wants, but it's not as realistic as we like hope. So I think looking at it, I actually think that what you guys have done in your model is actually quite good. Something that we're trying to aim for now. Mm. Yeah, I just I've always thought, like especially discussing with Albert that our incentivization of using subsidization for our events, for our monetary events was a bit weird. It's sort of like, I'll pay you to be like someone right. more committed. Yeah. But we, yeah, like I said, we did conclude that people are always going to like, it's not going to have a huge effect on what they do. We already have our club has been doing this for so long. And I think you're right. Like it is a culture within our club to behave in a certain way with regards to behavior within the club. So it's not as, it must be a lot harder for you guys who haven't had that system so you know ingrained within your club for so long, as long as we've had it. Because I know that we've had our strike system since years and years yeah. before I've been in the club. So I can definitely see, like, from the behavior of people within our club, like, inactivity is a huge red flag for yeah. for executives, yeah. for past executives. Yeah. So, that's a, geez, that's, that's, like, it's interesting you say that because that's, like, a whole thing with us. It's, like, even third years are very, very inactive. And mm. I look at that and I say, well, third years, like, maybe once you get past third year, like, you graduate, you go into postgraduate studies, sure, like, inactivity is kind of less an issue. But, like, if you're third year... There's nothing really distinguishing you from the other years. Like, why yeah. are you being so inactive? And right. it was it was interesting to see how, um, like, there's times where technically someone should get a strike for not showing up to a meeting. But yeah. me and Exec look at it and we're like, okay, this this is like a pretty valued member of the committee. They've been mm. in them for a long time, and they're like just used to the inactivity that they haven't shown up like at right. all. Right. And it's just like this whole debacle of like, okay, well, do we give you your say like? X strike and so you're now up for this punishment when we think that you're actually bringing in a lot more value in other areas and so yeah it's this whole debate but like the hope is that by the time we get through that process of like pushing out those kind of elders who have that perspective and bringing in the groups now who understand the system a bit more and 
the the value of what it brings, then hopefully it will get to a point where it's like you don't have to have those debates where it's like, okay, this person's not showing up straight straight away. Yeah. And then like if they don't show up X amount of times, then they're not shouldn't be part of the committee. Yeah, yeah. I think on the other hand as well, I've actually spoken to my committee just in person about that sort of thing and like what our executive team really values. And inactivity has always been a huge, huge red flag for yeah. me in particular because I've always thought of uh, myself as someone who was never inactive in our club. And to see people who are in my freshman group who are inactive now or who were even inactive during my freshman group last year, it's just so, it's kind of dissatisfying for me to see because honestly, I think to myself, and this is kind of harshly worded, but you could be someone else. You could have yeah. been someone else. Yeah. And like, yeah. it's honestly also a part of the people before me's fault or the, my own fault for letting people within the club who we've misjudged. Because I think a huge characteristic that we want for a committee is commitment. Yeah. Like it's in the word and we know yeah. that we want people who are of that level. And speaking about third years in particular, I was actually talking to my club like in a meeting and I brought up the slide about um, commitment and it was just the word commitment on our slide. Yeah. And I straight, straight up handed it to them. I said there, uh, in particular, there was this one section where I said, there are people within this club who are juggling a full, oh, juggling a job, full-time uni, they're doing dance, they haven't missed a futsal practice session and they're still fully committing to our uh, club whilst in third year uni and they haven't missed a single meeting and there are the other people who are not doing that who are constantly coming up with excuses and it's just really disheartening to see as an executive that we are harboring these sorts of people who are like you know not committing as much as the other people yeah because they're in the same pool as well yeah so we're seeing two sides of the spectrum whereas we like crunching that spectrum into like the the better end is what we'd wish we'd be able to do every year with a fresher pool, but we can't do that because we can't really tell what people will be like until they're in the club. Mm. So that's why I think like I chose to remain strict versus um, in comparison to our past president, who was also strict. I tried to be like him, but not him, like yeah. in a way that. I could get people to continue to not be lax about things, keep them on their toes and continue to try to get them to commit to things. But it is a lot easier from our club's perspective compared to yours because, you know, we've had that culture and I don't have to change my personality that much for people to just want to do things. Yeah. So obviously it would be yeah a lot easier for me. And because of what I've said, because of the things that I've done as president or the things that we've done as an executive body, I think that hopefully we're creating or consistently building upon that culture of if you do, if you commit yourself, if you do well within the context of the club, you'll be rewarded. Yeah. And that reward doesn't always have to be money. It will be self-fulfilling. Mm. And I just want to talk a little bit about time management now. <laughs> Considering, yeah. you know, I've just brought up yeah. people within the yeah. club. But from our own perspectives, we're both presidents. We both have a quite uh, subjectively full-on role because we 
tend to fill the gaps. And I know you and me personally, we like to ensure that everything is done to a particular standard that is usually unachievable if we don't step in. So is there anything that you, um, just talk, talk to me about your life pretty much. <laughs> like, what are you doing oh, outside man. of, outside of being present? Yeah. Okay. Um, firstly, like time management is, is like for a present is so important. Um, like I can't understate how much, like how important it is because like, particularly I think for our clubs, it's like, a lot of the times you'll think that like everything runs through you, so you organize the times everything. What, you're, what I quickly realized is that no, heads of sport organize the time for your volleyball trainings. Heads of dance organize the time for your dance. Yeah. Like every, no, you really don't understand a lot of these things. Mm. And so for me, it, it became pretty hard pretty quick because I was like, oh, um, like for example, with dance, I couldn't make, we had two dance sessions in the week and I couldn't make either because I had like standard work right. in those. And so I quickly realized though that it, it, it's a pretty... Like, I felt pretty bad that, like, firstly, I wanted to be involved. And yeah. secondly, that as, as a leader, I wasn't really showing up. Mm. And so for me, it was, like, this whole tough decision about whether, how do I, do I move? Because I couldn't really move work. So do I take work off um, in order to, to commit to the club? And so that, for me, was, like, pretty important. And then realizing, like, how do I manage my time around that? Is there somewhere I can shift things around to, like, have a slot for work, and et cetera? Um, but, yeah, in terms of my life... Yeah, I work two jobs. I am in like three sort of committee things. Um, mm. Obviously, full time uni, and then I think a, a very underrated, like not underrated, under, like what's the word I'm looking for? Like people don't get how much time it is. Is being in a relationship. Ah, oh, yes. Agree, but like, <laughs> but like this, this to me is a hugely um, understated thing in terms of time management because for me, like. At the end of the day, and it sounds really poor, it sounds bad, it's not a good mentality to have, but like enjoyment comes last, right? Right. So this was like my mentality like for everything. It's like, oh, you need to get all your work done, you need to do all the tasks you need to do, and enjoyment comes last. Yeah. But when you're in a relationship, there's like, there's, and I don't want to make it sound like a task, but there's like a need for enjoyment, like between the two people, for like yeah. the relationship to work and for it to flourish. But then at times it felt as if I was putting things off for this enjoyment that I'd want to put last, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So I think like in terms of that, it, it, it was unfortunate, but like at times it felt like um, spending time with my girlfriend was like a task because I was like, oh, I need these hours to like make our relationship work. Luckily I've like managed to work around that a lot more. Yeah. Um, I spoke to her about it and it's a lot more understanding between us now, particularly because she's really busy as well mm. um, and trying to find the time between us. But it's a lot better now because we're a lot more like open and talking about when we can meet up and all that kind of communication. And I kind of see it as more instead of a task is like an, an enjoyment that I have to like put aside. It's like, this is your like break time. It's like, this is the time yeah. you take a rest and where you actually recharge to do all the things that are like more task based. Um, but yeah, I think like to boil it all down is like the one thing you need is a good plan. Yeah. And I, I don't sure. know if you, what you use, but I use Google calendar. Like I said, <laughs> who was it? Um, I think, uh, I can't remember who, I think it was Jess. Um, if you're listening, Jess, you're probably not, but shout out to you because she told me to use Google Calendar mm. and that changed my life. Oh, like, you don't understand, like, dude. it makes it makes my life so much better because I can initially time block everything and then like, look at it and be like, oh, okay, so I have this then, okay, what, what do I move around, et cetera, et cetera. But, like, having a good, like, time schedule, a good plan and knowing what's coming is so useful for time management. Right, yeah. 
I think as presidents, but not even just as presidents, even all the office bearers, being in a relationship is one of the things that contributes to something we might have to sacrifice things to. Yes. And that word sacrifice is just something that I don't think is often talked about enough, even between executives, even between me and my own team. I know that all the other three members have so many sacrifices that they need to make in order to continue the you know, the logistics of KCC. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of just want to talk a bit about our sacrifices that we're both making. And firstly, I'll just talk about how, like I'm in a relationship as well. And I actually got into my relationship while I was president. So I was sort of prepared, yeah. like I had to mentally prepare myself. And it's a bit tough yeah. because it's quite... Uh, it's it's really gray area about how you go about things, taking on such a full-time role within the committee and then taking on potentially a fuller role within a relationship. And I had to say things at the beginning of the relationship, even before getting into it, like, I'm going to be really invested in the club. Yep. I'm going to spend a lot of time bettering myself for this club and doing things to continue the processes of this club so I don't anchor down my teammates. And for me to do that, there will be times where I have to put the club above you. And I had to say it like okay. as succinctly yeah. as that. Because if you if I don't say that and it becomes a problem later on down the line, it becomes like almost guilty. It makes me feel yeah. guilty. And clearing myself of that is honestly it's not enough to make up for the holes that I have as a partner. But I think still that's one of the things that I just have to be able to like work around as well. Mm. Just making time for your partner. And as you said, like logging in hours, like you need to, for your own standards, reach a certain amount of connection, maybe per day, per whatever, with your partner in order for you to keep that maintenance going. Yeah. And it's it does sound a bit like a chore, which yeah. is a bad thing. Yeah, yeah. But in like honestly, it's there's no other way to put it. Like that's just the way the world works. If we don't, you know, if we don't nourish that relationship, it will eventually crumble. And therefore, there is a sacrifice, a bit of give and take that we have to suss out ourselves. Yep. With regards to you know, helping the club grow, helping the club's processes continue, or potentially you know nourishing the relationship and it's really tough but there are obviously a lot of other things going on for example i have uni as well and the the good thing about me and uni is that <laughs> and this is the part where all the people stop listening but i'm actually repeating yeah a year at uni yeah so i'm actually only doing one unit this semester oh, okay and i did I was allowed to do three units last semester, but I only chose to do one as well. So that would keep me at uni, keep me, you know, doing things, staying busy with regards to my learning, but still not give me too much on my hands so that I could have, I think, what I personally consider an optimum balance between what I could do with regards to KCC and what I could do, you know, at uni. And actually, before running for president, I, I said this in the last podcast but like I knew I wanted to run for president for a very very long time but one of the clinches one of the deciding factors was I was like 
I don't think I passed that unit. I think I'm going to have to repeat it next semester or next year. And because of that, I think I'm going to have a lot of time on my hands and I can use that time to help better this club and push it towards a direction or continue to push it towards a positive direction. Because I honestly, becoming president, I feel like I had big boots to fill because 20, 2020 was one of the most successful years for KCC. And that was personally because we earned so much from our final event. <laughs> yeah. But again, that's not really a... It shouldn't really be a motivator or like a goal like money within the club, but it is something objective that we can look at and say, we do, we've done so much better this year than last year monetarily and the year before that, et cetera, et cetera. We want to keep that going. Yeah, exactly. We want to continue the momentum. And because we're like continuing the momentum, a side product is that we are actually increasing our outreach. Yeah. And because we're increasing our outreach, our core value is to promote Korean culture within university students, within the general public. And if achieving that means that we're going to earn a little bit of cash on the side, yep. then we're doing a good job. Yeah. But then again, using money as your uh, sort of success like indicator is kind of iffy in my opinion okay. because I think the club itself can look at it as we're earning a lot of money, we're doing a good job. Yeah. But I think especially within the executives who want to, who usually are people who want to move the club into a different direction success is sort of defined by different things mm. so do you have any personal things that help you define your success within the context of your club oh that's a tough one this um, is a yeah this is a deep one this is yeah. actually the question that claudia wanted to avoid oh okay. <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know success. okay <sighs> if i was to try and put it like the best I can. I would separate CS into two separate things. Okay. There's one CS as a club. That's how people look at it outside from outside looking in. That's the events that we run, the perceptions of the club, etc., etc. Then there's the committee. The committee is like the people we have obviously within committee. Yep. Um, and it's like the committee members um, and how they feel about things and how they feel supported. I separate the distinctions of success into those two separate things. It's like you can be achieving well in one, but not the other, and vice versa. Mm. So for me, if you want to talk about like um, what I'll say, KPIs, key performance indicators, like in terms of money, okay. um, ticket sales, all those things, that's the club side. And that's how I guess defining success in that way to me is okay. But then with the committee side, it is a, more, a lot more of a, I think, a vibe check. It's, oh. like, it's like how did, how did the committee feel that you're doing? How do people, oh. Are people enjoying themselves? Are people taking the time? Um, do people find value of being part of your committee, etc.? I think for me and for us, defining success in those two distinct ways is quite important because, as you said, you don't want to get tangled between the two where, in my eyes, like, you don't want to put, like, a monetary number. You don't want to say, like, oh, this person in committee only sold, like, $100 worth of tickets. That mm -hmm. means that they're a poor contribution. Like, no, right. you want to separate those two out and say, well, how does it look from like a committee outside in perspective as a club? I guess it's an organization, like, like a company you would. Yeah. And then you look at it internally and think, well, what are we actually doing for these people? Are they enjoying themselves, etc.? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, like, like you said, like we've sort of nodded out 
success is so subjective. Yes, it's very hard to define. Exactly. And there's so many different, like it almost differs depending on who your executive team is, depends on who you are as a person. And I think personally, how I would think about success within KCC is like, obviously there is that monetary side, that objective side that I think all four big Asian clubs, even potentially other clubs think about as their key definition of success mm-hmm. like in an extrinsic extrinsic perspective but internally that's where it starts to differ between person to person executive to executive yep. club to club and i think that success for me is literally getting people to and this is really hard to gauge yeah but spread the korean culture as much as we can oh okay yeah, yeah. so like honestly i'm not the biggest fan of all these K-pop bands and things like that. Like as like on a personal level, I'm listening to K-R-B, K-hip-hop, like not the generic or not generic, but like not the more mainstream sort of things. However, when I do hear a BTS song playing a supermarket, things like that, that's actually what makes me really happy. Yeah. Because I think, oh wow, like their reach is actually like so global and what we're doing as a club is actually trying to, you know, not globalize it, but like at least make our make Korean culture be more well known. Yeah. And whatever medium it is, whether it's like popping up a story of like eating K B B Q or something, or like even putting a Korean song as your music background for my story or like yeah. for a friend's story, that these are the little steps that I like to see that me and my committee members take with regards to spreading Korean culture. And a lot of the time, it's not because they are actively trying to do that. It's because they just genuinely enjoy it and they want to spread it for whatever reason. Like, I know I'm not trying to put out, like, Korean songs within my stories just to appeal or, like, just to try to widen the audience for these artists, but more because I just think it sounds good. Yeah. Yeah, and it just boils down to that's what I kind of want to see in future committee members and in our current committee members. And I want our committee members to inspire other people to, you know, give it a go. And that's what I look at success as because it is like almost looking at the core value of the club, which is something that I didn't really look at as a fresher. Like as a fresher, I've never really thought about what, what does KCC actually do? Like what is KCC's role yeah like in society yeah. in western australia oh okay yeah yeah and like even looking at it like on uwa's website they have like korean cultural club a social club for um korean like aiming to spread awareness of the korean culture etc yeah. etc et and maybe the person thinking about that wasn't so like oh yeah, this is definitely what it's going to be about this is like they're probably more thinking of what could I write as a general descriptor for KCC? Mm. And me looking at that descriptor as a president, it's it's a good enough goal for me to think that KCC should achieve it. Like I think KCC's uh, committee members and all its events are all actively like active ways of trying to achieve that goal. And even though it may not be the biggest like target, it is a target that I want um, personally KCC to continue to aspire to like work towards. Yeah. Cause that's like, 
I didn't join in the first place to do that. Mm-hmm. I joined in the first place to find other people who are yeah. Yeah, interested in Korean culture. But I ended up being a person who was like, I want other people to also appreciate. be interested yeah. Yeah, and appreciate it. And it's honestly quite hard to find or to change people like at random to like Korean culture yeah. and things like that because there's so much of a stigma behind it. Mm-hmm. And I've talked about that stigma around like career booths. You've talked about, you know, the perspective, the yep. general perspective of KCC. And it's basically like kind of boils down to it's not not cool to be a career booth. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Yeah, it's not yeah. not cool. Like yeah. it's Korean culture is so like cool and beautiful and I just want to share it. Yeah, it's actually, I actually have a point on that. Um, yeah. Funnily enough, you say that. It's not actually really a point, but like to anecdote your evidence, like, um, oh, what am I trying to say? Hotel Delona. Yeah. 10th anniversary event. Fantastic. Actually got me to watch the series. Wow. I haven't finished it, mind you. Um, and to be honest, I wasn't the greatest fan. <laughs> like, I don't know. I don't quite understand why the episodes are like an hour <laughs> and a half long each. And I've been caught up in the anime hub train, just like, I've been doing like twenty minute episodes like high Q right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like stuff. But like talk listening to you speak at KCC's event and talking about especially now, talking about how you want to like promote the culture and get people to engage. Like I've reflected on that and like just seeing how your event got me to watch like a whole K drama <laughs> series. Like and this is it's it's a it's a completely like it's a weird perspective as well, because I'm actually I'm Korean. So yeah. the fact that this was the first K-drama I've watched, and it was as a result of not my own culture, but you guys promoting that culture through your um, through your events and through your brand and through your image. I actually thought that was really, really cool. And, like, to be able to sit back and know that that was your goal and that I have, like, been a, like, been a result of that, I guess, yeah, it's yeah. Like, was actually, like, quite cool for me. And I think it was, like, a, like as a friend of you, it's, like, a really proud moment for me, despite it being me, about me, like, for you, because I was, like, yeah, it's, like, you achieving what you wanted to set out to do. And I just like think that that's, that's really, really, really cool. Yeah. No, that's actually awesome here. Like it's honestly like such a goal to, you know, get people to start watching their first K drum, listen to their first K pop song with intention. Yeah. You know, try a K pop dance versus their regular contemporary dances or like I'm seeing people who have been like, like pursuing dance for years and years and, they're only starting to try K-pop classes, like, as of recent. Oh, okay, yeah. And, like, seeing things like that happen, whether or not it's because of KCC's influence, whether or not it's because of the influence of our members, is, like, working towards my goal. Yeah. And I think that it's also something that helps me stay happy, is that I'm having a goal that doesn't have to be necessarily achieved by my club itself. Like, the way the world is working at the moment k-pop and like korean culture is just globalizing itself at the moment so a way to consistently stay happy and consistently stay say that you're not failing all the time is to set yourself a goal that is not only achievable but can like achieve itself even if you like you know take the back seat yeah i think like on that it's like the whole act wait how do i say act local but think global yeah yeah, you've heard that but like that whole mindset of like oh, you have to look at the bigger picture and understand, like, how your little bit's impacting the whole world, but you just focus on your little bit because, like, that's the bit that you can influence, but you'll see, like, the impact. If everyone focuses on that little impact, on that little bit, sorry, globally, it's, like, I think KCC has done, like, a really good job in terms of, like, speaking about that goal of, like, taking that mindset and just, like, applying it to a team. You guys have been really successful in that. Mm. 
Yeah, yeah. Like, also, I think, I don't know if you've seen, but we've been, we were approached by a, like, Korean network. Oh. And we were. Oh, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Arirang K-pop were, like, reaching out to us and they were doing, like, an Australian episode. And that was, like, an opportunity I knew I couldn't pass up. And I think as, like, presidents, there are so many opportunities that do present themselves, so many opportunities that don't, but we can pursue Mm -hmm. and potentially actually work through that we just can pass up. But this was one of them where I was like, this is actually going to, like, better our club so much and it's going to get our name out there a lot. And getting our name out there is not for the committee. It's for Korean culture. Yeah. And... What we did was, yeah, we recorded ourselves. We did a sort of like mini interview thing and then we recorded um, like a couple of our dance sessions and we had even some of our committee members speak to their host at the time who was an idol as well. And having that idol in there and sort of almost, yeah, you know, boasting about it on our social media is actually a step towards, you know, uh, increasing that awareness of Korean Cultural Club. And then, like, after that, getting more awareness about um, Korean culture in general. So, although we do say, like, oh, yeah, so much happened from that. Like, we've gained a lot of popularity. People, like, within our community are just memeing it as well. Like, oh, wow, we're going to be like, what we'll see. <laughs> yeah. But things like that happening is just a little, like, a little step towards the goal of, like, spreading Korean yeah. culture, spreading awareness. And, like... Even though, like, to us, it may have seemed like, oh, my God, it's something that we would want to do ourselves. And we've been given this opportunity and we can't pass it up because there's, like, an idol involved. Or people might think, like, there are a lot of, you know, um, ulterior motives behind it. But even if people think like that, they're thinking about us. And if they're thinking about us, pretty much any publicity towards Korean culture is going to get the, like, the Korean culture words buzzing yeah like it's going to become a buzzword and you know having that perspective of anyone in korean culture whether the publicity is good or bad if their name is out there we are spreading awareness of korean culture and although like there are you know plenty of scandals and things that happen in korea as well it is quite it is still not the not the whole picture yeah and the fact that people can start thinking about these sorts of things is still a step in the right direction, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I just want to talk next about, okay, going back to the logistics <laughs> of things. <laughs> a bit of a t- tangent there. Yeah, but we'll just talk about presidency again. Okay. Yes, so, bring it back. Yeah. So this is a bit more of one of like the more deeper questions. Yes. Okay. So... This is also something that I did ask Claudia, but do you think it was worth being president? Like, do you think presidency is something that, in her words, if she passed it up, she would regret it? Oh, okay, yeah. I think that I don't think about it a lot. Oh, okay. If, if this, if, okay, that's like a, that's a very poor... <laughs> no, no. To me, it's like, if you take that, like, back-looking mindset too often i think it's good to reflect but if you take that back looking mindset particularly with um opportunities too often then you fail to realize what you've learned from them so i kind of take the perspective that like any opportunity you will learn something out of it and there will be a lot of thought that goes into whether or not 
you think it's worth it at the time. But if you go through that opportunity and then you look back and you think, well, was it worth it? Like, it's a lot of the times very hard to make that decision because right. particularly for a, lot, a year-long commitment like presidency where a lot will go into a lot of time, for me trying to figure out, okay, like I try to imagine as like if you're trying to figure out if it's worth it, like it's like you're trying to balance all the like negatives, the costs with all the like benefits and things and trying to do that for me with something as significant as presidency was like very difficult, is very difficult. I don't know this basically like completely avoids the question. (laughs) I think it's, it's too hard for me to distinguish between those costs and the benefits that realistically for me, like the costs are gone. Like that's part, that's in the past. Um, I don't need to worry about that. I just need to look at the benefits, what I've learned to take that into the future and think, well, like how can I use these things that I've learned into order to better myself even more in the future? And how will the things that I've learned in this leadership role lead to the next leadership role, et cetera, et cetera. In terms of your actual question, I'll try and frame it in such a way that I can like answer it a bit closer. And I would say that in terms of generally, not from my perspective, but whether or not it is worth taking on a presidential role for like anyone else, I think presidency is what you make of it. Mm. So you can easily come out of the other side being a completely rebranded person. Like it, it, it can be life-changing, life-altering. You will learn so much. But at the same time, you could learn next to nothing from it. Like right. you could sit back, just do EMPs and be like, oh, like, okay, we're going to run the same event that we ran last year at the same place because we know the managers, et cetera, et cetera. Um, like that to me is not very value adding. And I think that it can be the case. It's really like, I think you or Claudia might've mentioned in the last episode, it's like one of the th- key things for like a presidential candidate is you should want it. Right. And the reason I think that that, from my perspective, is important is because if you want it, you'll make something out of it. You will make it valuable. Um, Despite the cost, despite everything, you will actually get something out of it yourself. And in that sense that, yes, if you want it, it will be valuable to you. Yeah. yeah. I think personally, like from like both of our perspectives, I think we're both people who want to like, you know, do as much as we can within our role. And by doing that, it's sort of, you know, raises the role to a whole new level because there are people who, like you said, do like just the bare minimum. And like I've discussed the bare minimum before, but just people who do that are not that inspirational to me. Mm-hmm. Like I think that the president is always a role that should be sought after to do well in that role. Yeah. And like it's a bit tough to, you know, find people who are automatically suitable for that role because I feel like even me personally before I got into that role I'm a completely different person now it was sort of like you know I've been put through the ringer through the fire and flames came up the other side a different person and um I'm gonna like also give like just a quote from one of our past presidents our 2018 president Jisoo Han she said that um you never really know how to do your role until after it's over yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. No. Yeah. Oh, wow. So, nice. like, you have to literally make the most of your situation, like, again and again, and consistently try to find what is the best thing to do. And I want to just, you know, try to achieve as much as I can because at the very end, I want to be proud of what I've done, whether I've done it well or not. Yeah. Like, I want to be proud that I put in so much effort. And I think a lot of past presidents within our committee think, you know, the next president is doing something, you know, weird or like they're doing something quite off, but there, it's always a learning process. Like, even though she might've said that has something 
to kind of, you know, keep me on my toes. It's also something that should not mean that we have to judge the next potential executives or next candidates. Mm-hmm. So I try to like, you know, make the make the presidential role as like idyllic as as possible and as sought after as possible, not because of the title. Like I think both of us like we don't we couldn't care less about the title, yeah. but like because it's like it puts us in a position to do so much for the club mm-hmm. and to better it as much as we can. So I think personally, I would say it has been worth it so far because there have been so many lows. There have been uh, equally as many highs, yeah. but it doesn't like really balance out because what I've done is like objective. Like I haven't done zero work. Yes. Like I've done some work or enough work for me to say to myself that I'm helping people or I'm helping our club continue to grow without taking a back seat and letting the other executives carry me. Like, I think a lot of us um, do carry ourselves quite well. And although I did say like our treasurer, Albert is like the all star of like our executive team that doesn't take away from the fact that like me, my secretary, Ben, my VP, Theo, we're all doing work as well. And we're not like just letting him carry us, but we're all doing what I'd expect of like better than, average executives would do yeah but it's just that albert towers above us yeah, <laughs> Still. No, i think i think like my thoughts on that like go to um it goes to the nba and like i don't okay. know i don't know how well you know but like there's this like whole idea currently of like how you build a super team it's like oh, okay. can you put together like three all-stars and something with a championship and from what i see like and obviously like i'm not an nba analyst but like these teams where you shove together like all these all-stars it, like, only works as well as, like, the team that's built around them. Right. And right. so, for my perspective, it's kind of like what you're saying. It's like, you can have, like, a gun treasurer. Like, they yeah. can be the best treasurer in the world, but they're not going to work as well unless they've got, like, a gun, like, secretary, president, vice president, etc. around them as well. And I think, like, in that sense, like, we're very much the same, is that we have definitely have standouts um, as opposed to, like, some people are putting in a lot more than others. But I think that at the same time, I'd like to say that, without the whole team, it would all fall apart. It's like Claudia, mm. how she spoke about it last week. It's like, you can't take out one person without everything like kind of crumbling. Yeah. It's that whole idea of like, yes, you'll have, always have standouts, but without the supporting cast, like the whole play is like nothing. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that's true. Like I think so as well, like within our team, like looking at it, like from that perspective, like although Albert is like such a, you know, like a standout, such a star, like, our team is always there to back him up with his ideas and continue to, you know, um, try to perpetuate mm. um, his ideas and whatever we're doing within the, cl- the club. And we're still giving in our, like, ideas as well compared to him, giving, like, a second opinion wherever we can. And it's still, like, I guess we are sort of boosting him up because we're yeah. providing an environment where it is suitable for him to, like, be the best that he can be. Yep. And I think that's important. Like we've talked about, you know, teamwork within the executive teams um, with Claudia as well, with you a little bit today as well. But, you know, just creating an environment where your team can flourish, can really turn what could have been an average OCM to like a banging exec. Like there are so many, like I said again, like dark horses within our committee who in the right environment can become someone so different, yeah. so suited to their roles. And I'm sure like 
there are people within our committee who should be trying, like, yeah. should, like, think yeah, about it. can make a lot more out of it for themselves and for the club. Yeah, exactly. Like, there's so much potential, and that potential is, like, not only unleashed, but, like, even, like, when the potential is unleashed, it sort of comes back to the people who unleashed it. Yep. And, like, for example, within my team, me, Theo, and Ben, we see Albert working so hard, we want to work hard. Yes, yeah. So, like, creating that sort of constructive environment and having a team that is so constructive upon each other's, like, work ethic is, like, really, really important uh, within, like, with regards to your team. So we'll just talk about, you know, executives now. Um, like we said, like I said <laughs> in the in the past podcast, we have our AGM coming out. Yes. And yeah. we typically do execute everything at our AGM. Okay, yeah. We vote in our new president, like for the public to see, and the public can see their speech as well. And if we were to run it like that this year, there are a lot of things that I would like to say to the potential candidates, some of which I've already said in our past podcast. But for for your perspective, for your club, is there anything you'd like to say to potential candidates who might be running for office bearer positions? Ooh. Okay. Mm, I think the main thing that I would say is that, like, set your standards above what you see, if that mm, makes sense. And okay. again, like, I keep bringing it back to this whole, like, rebuilding phase for us, but, like, for me, it is it is vital that the current the new executive look at previous executives and say, well, what do they do and how can I do it better? Right. It's not just about like, again, like there's a standard, like the we've set, you should be aiming for above that standard. It's particularly if we're trying to grow and be bigger. It's like, um, you can see what I do as president. You can think that I'm the greatest in the world, whatever, but you need to be greater. Mm, like that's yeah. your goal is that in order to build the club, to grow the club, you need to see the things that have worked well, the things that haven't, and understand how you can kind of develop the club and build on your own experiences in order to make it achievable and better for, like, everyone. Yeah, I think that's actually especially important in your context because I think it might be a little bit different for us. For example, like, trying to be better than your past executives is a really good, like, motivator, a good goal to, like, try to attain. Whereas with ours, like, whether with KCC, our past executives it's a bit hard to gauge what they were doing wrong yeah. or like what they, they could be doing better. Yeah. And what we'd have to do is just try to change things up. So that change may be for the better, maybe for the worse, yeah. but it's sort of like still an experiment, an ongoing experiment of what we can do within our executive body to change the club yeah. for the better. And it's a bit tougher to see like, because we're not like rebuilding or anything. We're just trying to grow continually and as stable like with as much stability as possible so i think something that i would say to potential office bearers would be more towards like individual like perspectives versus like yours can be can we be a better executive team like it can be you know construed in that like sort of direction which is a good thing because it's not too specific but mine would be something like just be Make sure you know what you're getting yourself into. Okay, yeah. Yeah, like, and contact as many people as you can because there are so many resources around you. And I even had a slide up that people in my meeting were laughing at where I just had the list of past presidents, past executives who were still in the committee, like, on the SMAP, on the, yeah, on the screen. Yeah. And I just had, yeah, so this was 
um, 20, 2020's president, 2019's president, um, Jimmy and Chien. This is um, the current VP. This is me, secretary, the two past secretaries before him, Nick and Alex, and then uh, Albert and the past treasurer before Albert, Matt. And I just had all the names up and like I insisted, I said to the like our committee, guys, if you're thinking about running for a role, if you're just curious about the role, yeah. please talk to any of these people. And you don't even have to talk to a particular person for a particular role because I'm sure like past treasurers have had perspectives of past presidents yep. or even present presidents. And I'm sure even present um, executive members have opinions about past um, executions of other office bearer roles. Yeah. There's so many opinions out there and not one of them is going to be the same because every year the club is different yeah. and every year the role is still different as well within each each position. So I think it's a key thing to use the resources around you and it's quite underrated. But I think even so, like I encourage that so much to the point where I would say, for example, our VP Theo is a lot more approachable to particular people within our committee compared to me, Ben and Albert. Mm-hmm. And if people want to talk to Theo about secretary, treasurer, president things, then by all means go for it. Yeah. Because she's still like a, like a source of knowledge she can still give an opinion that is, in my eyes, very valuable. Yeah. And uh, the same can go for Ben, Albert, and I. Like, there are people that we particularly appeal to within our um, committee. And I think that people who are running for an office bearer role should hear it from the office bearers. And I did it in my freshman year as well. Like, it wasn't so direct. Um, I think our past president was like, yeah, you can talk to me, have a chat with me. Um, there are some people within the committee as well who have been in these roles, but you guys can start talking about it. Yeah. But just pretty much um, <laughs> what I said to Albert was like immortalizing it on the silver screen. Yeah. The, the people who were past executives, <laughs> like in our like current committee, yeah. it's really important to continue to say being executive is cool. And these people who are on the screen deserve their praise that I'm giving them right now. Yeah. And the people that were laughing in the like committee at the moment, like that I showed that screen, were the past executives. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we, I think I saw a couple like high fives go around, <laughs> and like honestly, it is like, like they deserve it. Like although it was a bit memey to like watch it, like being in my chair watching people just high fiving like over like the serious point I was trying to make is still like they they deserve all the praise that they can get yeah. and the recognition that they can get because I haven't even done a full term yet and I feel like I've done so much. Mm-hmm. I feel like the other three executives, Theo, Ben, Albert, have done so much as well and we still haven't come to our full term. We still haven't executed our final event, which would be our biggest event typically. So there's so much to learn from people that are not us. Yeah. Yeah. So with regards to final events, you have a final event coming up now. Yes, we do. Yeah, so would you be able to plug that in for us? Apple Cards, 1st of October, yep. just before exams start. Um, it's at Villa. We're going with a, a Las Vegas theme. We are very, very much looking forward to it. Ticket sales are already, already out. First release, um, I believe, is at the moment. Message anyone in our committee um, and they can hook you up. 
we have sold out of early birds. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be a wicked night, and I am so looking forward to seeing everyone there. I'm looking forward to it as well. Okay, we're going to head to our final question. Um, this is a <laughs> Ben is just rubbing his hands right now. This is a tradition that I'd like for this podcast now for my podcast to be quite serious and then the final question to be a little bit of a meme okay. a little bit of a curveball so the question that i came up with is if you were to become an animal other than the beast you are at the moment what would you be and why so he doesn't know he he's only just heard of this question so <laughs> oh my lord um Jeez, do you know what you would be? I actually don't. I actually don't. Oh, <laughs> um, I think, or oh, we can both sort of discuss this for a little while. But I would not want to be anything amphibious. Wait, all. wait. So wait, is this question like, what animal do I think like my personality? Like, what animal, like, am I like, or is it like, what animal would I want to be? Would you want to be? Oh, so not what you're like. Oh, like, okay. No, that's weird. Yeah. Hmm. I feel like something that can fly would be good. Yeah. So like, ooh, ooh, maybe like, I have no idea. Could be like a, a pigeon, man. Pigeons yeah. are so carefree. They are. They like, are. They just live life. I just yeah. want to live life. I just don't. I don't want. I don't want my new calendar food. I just want to like go around steal people's chips. And oh, that life. Yeah, honestly, like pigeons are pretty good. Like, I think the city pigeons are very different as well. Like, they yeah. know that we're not going to do anything. <laughs> they just play yeah. like play around with us. I reckon I'd want to be like a maybe an apex predator, so something oh, like okay, a okay. like a tiger or something yeah. higher in the food chain, because I don't know, I just don't want to be like living my life in constant fear <laughs> as I do as president right now. No, I'm just kidding. I love her. Uh, yeah, I love her mindset. I go straight to pigeons and you go to like tigers. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I've had like one more minute thinking about it. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, let me throw you a curveball question. Okay. Okay. Just like, this is like so random, but like. A, who inspired your current haircut, or like who would be the haircut you want the most at the moment? Okay, so wait, second one again. What was it? So like, who inspired your current? Yeah. Or like, if anyone, and then or, or like, what would be like, what's your current hair? Like, if you had to get it, like if you could get any haircut right now, right whose now. haircut would you have? Okay, so I think my current hair. It looks good. It who, looks really good. Who inspired it? Okay, obviously Korean. I I've got a perm right now at the moment. And this is actually my second perm. So is that undercut though as well? It, okay. <laughs> it's, it so there's actually a story about this, like oh. a, a tiny bit of a story, but I won't go like too into detail. But like I had my first perm because I had straight hair for a very long time. And I always thought perms were pretty nice. And I didn't like prepping my hair every single morning. Like I would go to work like three, four times a week. And I'd go to uni every other day. And like every time I would have to like make a middle part, like it doesn't just... It didn't come naturally for me. Mm. And a lot of people have, like, the gift of having really nice natural hair, which just, like, gets straight into a hairstyle. But I didn't have that luxury, and it took a lot of time to, like, prepare my hair. So I got a perm in the first place, and that first perm was inspired by um, a Korean actor called Nam Ju Hyop. And he's, like, a very famous actor. He was in Startup. He was in Weightlifting Fairy. And, like, he's just, like, one of my, like, favourite actors. And then... That haircut, like, kind of got pretty long. And even in the beginning stages, it was getting to my eyes. And I like to play a lot of sport as well. Yeah. So I wanted to get another perm 
but this time just literally any poem that would be able to suit my daily life like my like activities of daily living so i got just a poem that would go backwards <laughs> okay yeah. yeah so like something that i could play sport with without like really worrying about you know oh my god where's my headband yeah like that sort of thing so i literally just pulled up like i literally typed in um korean hair perm and sort of like <laughs> yeah, just yeah. the generic <laughs> one like they did it yeah first one was inspired by a person second one like google search and straight up found some pictures and like i just showed it to um my like um hairdresser and she was like yeah yeah i can do that and then i got that and i was like obviously okay actually the first one or two days of getting a perm hair was weird yeah but like after day three or four five six etc etc it starts looking nice starts looking natural and i don't know if it's just a placebo of like looking at it but like it just got a lot more yeah nicer yeah and we actually have we're actually both attending an msu event today yeah. and right before this podcast was recorded i went to get an undercut yeah I was say, <laughs> that looks pretty great like it, it looks like it is I, it couldn't be fresher i debated whether or not she could get a haircut today but i was like oh cutting close yeah cutting it fine um yeah no no because i asked that it's like that's how random but like my current like okay firstly um my first haircut inspiration is my mate cameron Ewan. He oh, yeah. has the freshest fade in WA. Ooh, like okay. I kid you not, like he is. Oh my god, I don't know where he who his barber is, but he gets his like, he gets his like before events. Always looks good. Okay, okay. But my like the reason I come to this question is because like my my current inspiration for like everything in my life right now is Yuji. Yuji, I don't know how to say his name properly. Nishida. Oh my god. And I'm sorry yeah. to be like every like freaking Asian girl during the Olympics, but like okay, he firstly he's really good looking and his hair. Like, just watching it and, like, how it sat, like, while he played yeah. and how it looked good, I was like, oh, my God, I yeah. need that. But, like, I had no idea. Like, I don't know how to part my hair and stuff, so, like, I had no idea how to get there. But, like, oh, man. And he inspired me. Like, I'm so into volleyball now. Like, yes. I used to be all basketball. Like, only basketball. Really? I played basketball in so long because I've just been playing volleyball. Wow. It's so, and then, yeah, of course, high key now as well. I just want to be the greatest decoy for CS. Now. <laughs> decoy. I just want to be the greatest decoy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But, Damn. Um, yeah, no, he he is Eugene though, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I don't even know how to say his name. Actually, I just remember was. I remember sitting in um what was it? Um the Cultural Carnival. Club Carnival, sorry. Yeah. Um with who was it? It was like me, like I wanna say Steven and Dylan from okay. MSU. And we were just watching like the the Japan Brazil game. Oh I had yeah. never watched volleyball before. It was like the first time. And I was like, this is so cool. Yeah. And it is oh, so hype. Yeah, that's just, you know, like, the, the Nishida effect, pretty much. Yeah, like, facts. So many, like, people, like, even Haikyuu, things like that are, like, so influential. And, like, looking at it in real volleyball, like, it just makes it seem, like, not even that much more attractive, but it gets us into it, yeah. like, in the first place. Yeah. We're like, oh, my God, this is, like, such a cool thing that, like, has been going on for so long. But, yeah, I think, I think we've kept it. <laughs> <laughs> kept you for long enough that's that's a that's a line i've you know taken from toby chan so shout out toby. <laughs> but yeah we've kept ben for long enough um thank you so much for coming on today thank you very much for having me and um we will see you guys for the next podcast please let me know who you would like on as another guest for another episode but for now we will see you guys later adios